0: <clears throat> James chapter number four. And uh, <clears throat> is, is anybody else warm in here today? It seems like it's overly warm today. I'm, I put the air down as cold as I thought it should. I'm wondering if maybe our unit might be was hot again. Okay, and probably is that might be that contactor again. Then we might have one air conditioner down. All right, then we'll be. Y'all have full stomachs in a warm room. We'll be brief, so or not. We'll, we'll be one or the other. We'll either be brief or normal. or I don't know if we're ever normal, but we'll be brief. All right. James chapter number four. And uh, we'll, we'll uh, read verse number three. James chapter four and uh, verse number three. You ask and receive not, because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lusts. Uh, I'm sorry, back at verse 2, I want to get both of those in there. Uh, You lust and have not, you kill and desire to have, you cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your own lust. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you once again for your word and its instruction to us. I pray that you'll help us this afternoon as we deal with the topic of prayer and uh, give us some practical things from your word that will help us to be better in our praying, uh, to be more effective, to be more fervent, and, uh, Lord, that we would be more Christ-honoring in our praying. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, my family and I were going through some very difficult times. We had just moved up here to Missouri, and uh, the things that we had set up and moved up here for did not work out for us. And we ended up coming over here to Keith Heinz Baptist Church uh, one night for church, and um, Brother Randy Casey was here at the time. And I remember uh, sitting down in the in the pew, and he came over and sat to talk with us. And he said, "How are things going?" And uh, I said, "Well, could be better, could be better. There's been a lot of problems and issues, but I said God's God's been good, and we're we're okay." And uh, he he said, "Okay." And then we he did the service. And we walked outside. And after the service was over that night, and my family and I, we were walking over to our car, and he, he kind of hollered across the parking lot to us. And uh, he uh, called us over, and he said, Tell me what's going on. And uh, we began to share with him a little bit. We didn't share all the details, but some of the burden that we were under at the time. And uh, without really saying anything much more than just opened his arms and my family's standing there he opened his arms and he said let's pray he wrapped my family in his arms we stood out here on the pavement with him embracing my family and I and we prayed and my family and I have been praying a lot about the situation but to find someone that would be so quick to say let's just pray let's give it to the Lord I know several months later, uh, we were going through another situation. Some things had calmed down a little bit, but we'd hit another bump in the road. I came to his office. I said, Pastor, you got a minute? I can come meet with you. And I came over to meet with him. I sat in his office and wept, poured my heart out. When I got done pouring my heart out to him, he said, Let's pray. Somebody said it best this way. They said, prayer ought to be our steering wheel, not our spare tire. So often, it seems like praying is the thing we do when we've done everything else. And I love to quote this. I wish I could find the person that wrote it. I read it years ago and wrote it down in my Bible, and I should have written who the, who the person was that said it. But they made this statement. They said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed. But you can never do more than pray until you have prayed. Uh, prayer is one of those things that is, is an interesting subject to think on. Because the truth is, God knows the most intimate thoughts and, and things of our heart. God is vitally aware of every circumstance that happens in our life. God is not a detached God sitting off in heaven somewhere letting creation do its own thing. The Bible tells us that He knows the number of the hairs on our head, that a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without him knowing. And yet He tells us to pray. I've often wondered about that, and I, I think I know the answer that the reason God commands us to pray is not for His benefit, but it's for our benefit. Because there are, there are several things I think the Bible gives illustration of or teaches that prayer does for you and I. And praying is... I, I, I was talking to some folks even this last week, and praying is nothing more than, than having a conversation with God. Uh, it's often when we have a need. And certainly, we are told to bring our burdens to Him. We're to pray for one another's burdens. We're to pray for our burdens. There are times we pray just to glorify Him and to lift Him up and to give Him thanks. And there's a prayer of thanksgiving. There's a prayer of supplication where we ask for His supply. And uh, but prayer is is basically talking with God. There's no special magic formula to it. The Bible says that the disciples asked the Lord to teach them how to pray, or teach them to pray. And He gave them what we consider to be the Lord's Prayer. And uh, a lot of people recite the Lord's Prayer. But God didn't give us that to recite. He gave it to us as a pattern to show us what what a typical prayer would look like. And in that prayer, there is certainly giving God His place. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There's certainly a recognition of His divine plan throughout the history of mankind thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven there's a cry and a plea for his supply give us this day our daily bread a plea for forgiveness and forgive us our debts as we forgive those uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil and then there's the honor, the worship thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever And you could wrap all of the things that we can pray about into that one prayer. He gives us an example of it. But praying is nothing more than talking with God. And since Calvary, you and I have the wonderful privilege to be able to talk directly with Him. To be able to come to Him face to face. Oh, not in visible form, but we can come into the very throne room of God Himself. Hebrews 4 teaches us this. And I want us to look at a couple of things here that prayer will do for us. Prayer helps us with some things in our life. And it will help us to understand not only the need for prayer, the urgency of prayer, but uh, the things that it will help us in in our lives if we'll continue in prayer. James says, you have not because you ask not. And really one of the greatest failures, in fact, I think it was John R. Rice might have said this. I'm, I'm not sure. It might be another person I'm thinking of. But they said, every failure is a prayer failure. And we certainly fail enough in not praying the way that we should. Look with me in Isaiah chapter number 6. Isaiah chapter number 6. And uh, one of the things that prayer does for us is it recognizes God's position and our position. It recognizes God's position. When we come to Him in prayer, we are implying, we are giving the... We're not even even making the statement, we're automatically making the assumption that He is above us, that He is the preeminent one, that He is able to meet the need that we have. That He has the might, He has the power, He has the resources, He has the inclination, He has the ability to meet the need that we cannot meet ourselves. And we recognize when we come to Him in prayer, whether we say it in our prayer or not, the very fact that we're praying to Him... Is recognizing his position over us and our position underneath him. Look in Isaiah chapter 6, and I think Isaiah is one of the most beautiful pictures of God's position and man's position. In the year that King Uzziah died, verse number 1, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, I love this, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. Can I tell you this? When we come to God in prayer, it does our heart good. And it does it good if we do it often because it helps us to regularly recognize His preeminence and our debasement. The fact that John said it this way, He must increase, but I must decrease. And one of the greatest things that you and I can ever do when it comes to the thing of prayer is recognizing who He is and who we are. I fear sometimes that we almost get arrogant. I've, I've listened to some of these word of faith folks that demand God. They command Him around. Have you noticed that? Well, I, I, Lord, I command this thing. Well, wait a minute. We don't have authority over Him. He has authority over us. They, they'll tell, they'll tell you that God can't do anything in this world without our authority. That is, that is nowhere found in Scripture. Not anywhere found in Scripture. If God does anything, He does it because of His own will to do it. We can plead with it, we can ask Him, but if God chooses to do it or not, that's up to Him. There is nothing that I warrant, there is nothing that I have earned, there is no merit I have that can require God to do anything for me. The only requirement God has to do anything for me is any promise that He's made to us, and that's, that's a commitment He's put upon Himself. It is not a commitment that we've put upon Him. It's a choice He has made, not one we have made. And so every time we come to the Lord in prayer, we recognize that fact. Just the very fact that we are coming to someone that we believe can meet the need that we ourselves cannot meet. And it does our heart good to pray. Just the very act of praying itself helps us to recognize more of who He is and more of who we are. Here Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up his train filled the temple. And then he says woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in a people of unclean lips. Hebrews chapter 4 is where we quoted a moment ago where because of Calvary because of the <coughs> the veil of the temple <coughs> has been rent we no longer have to come through a priest. <coughs> Notice in Hebrews chapter 4 verse number <coughs> 16 he says let us therefore come boldly unto notice this phrase here the throne of grace. let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need a recognition of his position one of the most mind-boggling things I think in my in my life has been why why in the world the Lord would bother? with sinful man. It would have been just as easy for God to speak and wipe the slate clean and start all over again. But He didn't choose to do that. He didn't choose to do that. The psalmist said, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy hands, the sun, the moon, the stars, which I hast ordained. He said, What is man that thou art mindful of him, the son of man that thou visitest him? The psalmist wondered these things. Lord, who am I That the God of the universe, the preeminent one, the one who stepped out on nothing and spoke all that is into existence, and it didn't even deplete His power, didn't even tire Him, didn't even weary Him. There was no strain on His resources. Why in the world would that God take an interest in me? And when we come to Him in prayer, we are recognizing His position and our position. Number two, when we come to the Lord, we recognize our poverty and His supply. His supply is exhaustless. The Bible talks about the fact that He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Somebody said it uh, best this way. He said, He owns the cattle on the hills, and He owns the hills themselves. <laughs> he owns all the gold in the hills. He owns the rivers, the streams. He owns the plants. He, he created it all. He made it all. And when we come to Him, we say, Lord, I need something. Uh, It's vitally important to us. But it is such a small task for Him. G. Campbell Morgan said this, everything to God that we pray for is a little thing. It may be huge for us, but everything to God is a little thing. I've told people before, I've had uh, some people that... Uh, told me about some financial need that they've had. And sometimes it's been a pretty pretty great financial need. Sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I, I said, well, let's pray and ask the Lord to meet that need. And I don't know how many times I get, well, yeah, uh, that's a lot of money. As if in, in our thought when we say that or we chuckle at that is, well, God, God can do the $5 or the $10. He's like my friend over here that I can ask him, "Hey, can you pay for my sandwich at the at the fast food restaurant?" But if I need him to pay the mortgage on my house, he can't do that cuz he's poor. And that's the mindset we have toward him. Do you know it doesn't God can supply anything that that, that we need. In fact, the Bible says he'll supply everything that we need. His resources are limitless. And it's amazing because He often does it in a way that we don't expect. It's amazing to watch God work. And there's times I've said, Lord, I have this need, and let me show you how you can do it. Any of you ever done that? Here's my plan for it, Lord. If you'll just work my plan, everything will be okay. I've learned over the years, don't don't do that. God's plan, not only is it amazing, but when it's done, you look back and you say, there's no other way that could have happened. Except God did it. Our poverty, His supply. God doesn't strain at anything. Everything, I don't care how big it is to us, everything to Him is small. In comparison to His supply, obviously. He makes it big because it's important to Him. But you understand what I'm saying by that. His supply is not exhausted. If I needed $10 million today, and it was a genuine need, a legitimate need. God could supply that just as easily as He could supply the $10, and it still would not deplete Him. He's not like you and I who have limited bank accounts. It's not like He has to go check His balance or move some stocks around before He can do it. God can supply all our need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus, Philippians chapter 4. So prayer helps us to recognize our poverty and His supply. Oh, what a wonderful thought that is it really helps us to to not worry a whole lot when we begin to realize that He can supply all of it. Number three, James chapter number one. Praying will help us to recognize His position and our position. Praying will help us to recognize our poverty and His supply. James chapter one, verse number six. Let's back up verse number five. If any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind, and tossed. I don't know about you guys, but this pastor standing up here has had moments where I have prayed, and I thought it will be a miracle if God answers that prayer. That's a true statement, but you understand what I mean by that. There's there's the doubt. There's the doubt. Praying in faith, nothing wavering. George Mueller, who started a, a chain of uh, children's homes with no income over in England back in the 1800s, did a great, great work for the Lord. He, he would come to prayer, and they would he, he, he made a list of things that were his rules for praying. One of his rules for praying was, He said, I never came to the Lord with a a need until I had no will in the matter on my own as to how he met it. There were times that they would sit down at the dinner table with no food, no nothing to drink for the children. And he would say, Let's pray and give thanks for the food that God is going to provide. And while they were praying, a knock on the door would come and God had provided the food. Why? Because he learned to pray in faith. It wasn't, it wasn't a wishful thinking. It wasn't hoping that God would do something. It was trusting that He would. It was saying, Lord, there's this need. You promised to supply the need. And I'm going to give it to you. And regardless of what the outcome is, to be content with it. That's faith. There are people that were put to death for the cause of Christ that I'm sure prayed for God to deliver them. And some of them He did, miraculously, and some of them He did not. It was God's choosing. I love the story of the three Hebrew boys in Daniel. When they're standing before the king, and uh, they would not bow to the, the idol that he had built, the statue that he had built. And when he told them the penalty for their disobedience, they said, Our God will deliver us. But if not be it known unto thee, O King, we will not bow. And I love their attitude because that's an attitude of faith. We're trusting that He's going to deliver us. But you know what? Even if He doesn't, He still did. Because even if they died, they died in faith. I've asked for God to heal people when my dad was so sick with cancer and so long in suffering. I pleaded with God many, many nights, Lord, heal him. Heal him. He's got years of service yet. Had energy and zeal and faith and loved the Lord and was pastoring a strong, vibrant church. And I said, Lord, just you're not through with him yet. Let's just heal him. And God chose not to this side of heaven, but the moment that he passed, within a moment, our family said he's healed. Trust God's way, regardless of how it fits in with our plan. That's how it's prayer by faith. To say, Lord, here's the need. Here's what the problem is. I'm putting it in Your hands. And I'll be content with what the outcome is. I'll give thanks for it. Whether it's what I'm desiring the outcome to be or whether it is something that I'm not desiring it to be, I will be content with it. It helps us to express our faith. He says in verse number 6, Let him ask in faith... Nothing laboring. Nothing laboring. Prayer helps us to express our faith. Number four, prayer helps us to develop our faithfulness. Daniel chapter number six. Daniel chapter number six. Daniel had been uh, the target of a plan of some men who were trying to get him uh, killed. They didn't like him. They were jealous of him. They got the king to sign a decree that nobody was allowed to pray to any god or idol except for the king for 30 days. And in chapter 6, the Bible says in verse number uh, 9, Wherefore, King Darius signed the, written, the writing and the decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, I think that's a key phrase in this verse. Because without that phrase, you would say that Daniel did what he did in ignorance. But he knew what he was doing. It was a conscious choice. Now, when Daniel knew the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open. I think that's another key statement. He wasn't trying to hide it. His windows being opened in His chamber toward Jerusalem, He kneeled upon His knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before His God. And if it ended there, we would say He's just out rebelling against the authority over Him. He's doing it to make a point. No, no. The verse doesn't end there. It says, as He did aforetime. Prayerfulness develops our faithfulness. (coughs) Number five, and the last one. James chapter number five. Prayer will help us to recognize our position in God's position. Prayer will help us to recognize our poverty in His supply. Prayer will help us to express our faith. Prayer will help us to develop our faithfulness. And lastly, prayer will demand particulars. Details. James chapter number 5, if you will. Verse number 16. Verse number 15, excuse me. Uh, I'm sorry, 16. I got the wrong chapter, wrong verse. There it is, yeah, verse number 16, I'm sorry. Confess your faults... One to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Within the context of the verse, it seems to make the statement that in order for our prayers to be effectual and fervent, we need to know the details. That's why he tells them in the first part of the verse, Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another. What do you think we're going to pray for if we just heard somebody confess their fault? We're going to pray that they have victory over that fault. It's important for us to pray specifically, particularly, with detail. Um, It will help us to pray effectively, or effectually as the Bible uses that word here, and it will help us to pray fervently. If I don't know much about my brother or my sister in Christ and I go to pray for them, I'm just going to say something like this, Lord, bless Brother Kevin, or bless Brother David back here, or bless Brother Harold or Miss Sandy, and I'll move on. But if I know them, and I know that there's issues in their life, I know that there are things that they're battling, there's things that are struggles that are that are, that are burdening them, then I can come in a fervent spirit. And I can spend time, and I can say, Lord... Bless this person, this, this brother or sister, this dear friend. And, and this is some problems they're dealing with, and there are some uh, issues that they need, and uh, some health problems, and <coughs> some issues they need uh, for material needs that they have. And, and there's some uh, wisdom that they need in making some choices and some decisions. And I can begin to pray for the, the faults that they're, they're trying to get victory over. And I can pray for the burdens that I know they're facing. And it makes the prayer more effectual and more fervent when we do it that way than to just say, Lord, bless brother so-and-so. Praying demands particulars if we're going to pray effectively. If we're going to pray fervently, we need to know what we're praying for. brings us back to our first verse in James chapter 4. You have not because you ask not. I understand God knows the need and can work in spite of our anemic, watered-down prayer. But James says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And while God certainly is able to work in spite of our lack of effectualness and ferventness, he has chosen to tie His actions, His work, to our prayers. I don't know why He's done it that way, but that's what the Bible teaches us. That He has chosen to tie His activity, His actions, to our prayers. It's amazing that one of the most powerful tools that we as Christians have in our arsenal against uh sin in the world and to help us to have the victorious Christian life is this tool of prayer. And yet it is one that we probably spend I wouldn't say the least amount of time on because I think a lot of Christians spend time in prayer but we have certainly not nurtured the grace of prayer. We've not built upon it. We've not deepened the roots of it in our hearts. We've allowed it to remain just a surface uh, shallow praying when it ought to be something that we we feast upon, we nurture we strengthen, we deepen the roots in we seek for God to help us in prayer prayer will help us to recognize our position in God's position, it will help us to recognize our poverty in God's supply it will help us to express our faith it will help us to develop our faithfulness, and it will demand us to pray particularly. Pray in detail. Pray fervently. Pray effectually. Find out. The Bible tells us to bear one another's burdens. I've, I've said this before. I'm not opposed to unspoken prayer requests if they are of a sensitive nature and there are certain things people don't need to know about, and I understand there are times for unspoken prayer requests. But I fear that many times, many of the prayer requests that we say are unspoken requests really should be spoken. Because I've been commanded to bear your burdens, and you've been commanded to bear mine. But how can we do that if we don't know what they are? I know we say, well, God knows my heart in this matter, and so pray for this unspoken request because He knows what's going on. And that's well and good, but how can I pray effectually and fervently if I don't know? Or if some other brother or sister doesn't know? And By all means, folks, if there's a sensitive matter, don't feel bad about saying pray for an unspoken prayer request because we need to pray for those. Don't, don't just say I'm not going to do unspoken prayer requests ever again because I know there's a time and a place for that. But can I urge you, share your burdens. Men probably have the hardest time with this because we are we are fixers. We like to fix things and we don't want to burden anybody. We don't want to let anybody else know that there's a need or a problem. We just want to fix it and not be a bother or a nuisance to anyone. But when it comes to things that people can pray about, we are supposed to share those burdens one with another so that they can bear on them to edify one another to help one another. So I hope that will be a help to you. Some things about prayer that uh, I think will be a help to you. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we do ask that you would help us as we go day by day. Prayer has been given to us, I believe, very strongly for our benefit. It certainly allows us to have fellowship with you, but...